You're listening to Arsenal Pass, a flesh and blood podcast for players by players. And all about strategy, leveling up, and the latest news in the world of Wraith. Welcome to Arsenal Pass. Welcome back to episode 144 of Arsenal Pass. This week on the pod, we look at the latest hero in Flesh and Blood, Brendan. Heavy hitters, Victor. I'm calling him Elite Private School Goldmane and um, just how high and mighty he might be in heavy hitters. He's the sixth and final hero to be revealed. Take a look at that. Plus, main topic, we're going to go into something that's close to, well, my heart, I think close to your heart as well, Brendan, which is um, how to stop punting games and, and win just a little bit more. Never done that in my life. Um, <laughs> punting or winning? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good point. Uh, no comment. Yeah, Victor Goldman's pretty interesting, to be honest. Uh, I think it's one of the more, potentially one of the more powerful heroes has been revealed. I do think it has a strong likeness to Mr. Hayden Dale here. I mean, this is my, this is my vision of Hayden, if he had the, if he had the, if he had the white, the, the yellow hair. Yellow blonde hair. I call it yellow, but we can call it blonde. <laughs> Hayden, I do have a question for you. I want to hit it off with... Um, this week on the pod, that's not related to the flesh and blood, and it's probably um, just irrelevant. But have you ever heard of main character syndrome, or the idea of people thinking that they're the main character? How would you describe that? What, how would you describe that that phenomenon? <clears throat> what 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 is occurring? What do, what do people think? What does that mean? Uh, I mean, it just it goes back to the old saying, you know, center of your own world, right? Mm-hmm. I guess that's kind of really what what it is. Is you just have this kind of lens that everyone's watching what you're doing you mm-hmm. think that the whatever you're doing is the thing that matters the most at any given time like that's that's, that's it really so i saw most a post people- yeah i saw a post on twitter that was my interpretation as well and that was just my interpretation moving through life right i saw a post and someone was like everyone thinks of the main character and the reason they think this is because they think they're going to go on an arc right there's going to be some point in their life where they hit their arc and most of you like you look at your life right now and you're like is my life in an ideal state and you're like no you know i'm getting into my 30s i'm a bit old but i'm about to hit my arc <laughs> and i was like i read that and i never thought about framing main like a main character you know mm-hmm. syndrome like that like thinking of the main character but i, I contemplate i was like i think that i legitimately think that i think that i haven't hit my arc yet but the whole post is about this like that's not going to happen. You're not just going to hit your arc. There's not going to be this inflection point that just happens in your life and then it switches around. And it was mostly about, you know, trying to actively work towards that. But I'd never been aware or cognizant that I literally think that. I literally think that there is an arc that is coming. I haven't hit my arc yet. And that's like, it's, it's a really stupid thing to think. And I don't know why. I've just been thinking, it just, it stuck with me because interesting yeah it just hit me because i was like i i i think that i i think that and that's a dumb thing to think um anyway well i mean i think that's probably just a bit of human nature really but i've I've not i've not heard that before so that's that's quite interesting well at least i've never really thought about it or framed it that way yeah i think Um, i think it's natural to think that but it is um you know it, it is kind of dumb. Like when you think it's kind of dumb because we all just, kind of, we all, I think a lot of us fall into this trap of thinking that like, it's just going to happen. Surely my life can't just occur before me without there being an arc. There must be an arc to the story. There must be a climax, right? But that's not how it works. It can just mm-hmm. drone on and then you can, it can just pass you by. And those things don't happen without intention and without actually, you know, trying to make something happen. And uh, yeah, I mean, the main thing is like, I don't want to get too deep into it. The main thing stuck out, out to me was like, I never thought about that way. And when I really, when I, when I sort of tried to interpret it, I was like, I legitimately think that like, uh, there's a part of me that believes that. And that's, it, I don't know, it stuck out to me. Is that when you saw Victor Goldman, is that what it made you think of? No, it wasn't. It was just a completely different post. Okay. Was, I I rarely read things that have that kind of an impact on me. And I, maybe it's probably not that deep, but it did have an impact on me because I do think that it is, it is, it's really easy to let your life pass you by. And I'm just, I do wonder how you can be more present and more, have more agency um, to stop that from happening. And it, it's something that I think takes active, active thought. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, that is so far away from flesh and blood, but you know we get it. We get our own little self indulgences oh. here. Sometimes we get to talk about some philosophy or whatever you want to call it. I don't think it's that far away from flesh and blood. I think you talk about a topic that really closely relates to having a hobby as well. I think the more hobbies you have, the more you immerse your life and your hobbies, the more maybe you feel yep. feelings like that. So I think that's pretty relevant, rel- rel- to be honest. Well, 
Thank you for sharing. I'm going to take that as your This Week in Flesh and Blood mm-hmm. has been a sort of internal reflection week. Uh, anything else? I mean, with this, yeah, there's still weeks in Flesh and Blood. We're kind of, we're in the new year and we're heading towards what is going to be a pretty quick avalanche of events starting to kick off, Brendan. We've had Battle Harden's already underway. Battle Hardened last weekend, uh, I believe, won by Michael Hamilton on Bravo. So, yeah. you'd be happy to see Bravo take the take the dub there. That's he our got first the, kind of obviously. the in the finals as well. I'm just kidding. He played Roger Bodie in the finals on Bolton. <laughs> I was going to say, that's mean to Roger. I was a Bolton? Uh, yeah, on Bolton. Bolton. But it's cool that they got to yeah. meet in the finals. Um, you know, obviously very good friends and the MNR podcast. The MNR cast. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. congrats to them. Manor. Uh, yeah, and, and I guess quickly heading towards heavy hitters and then just like we kind of, I was just looking at the calendar and then we just get into events. Uh, Road to Nationals, of course, the PT, more Battle Hardens, callings kicking off. So, I was doing this week, I was sort of looking at our content schedule, Brendan, or trying to come up with a bit of a content schedule for the next two months. And actually, there's a, there's a lot to cover and I, I guess, yeah, a lot of events happening pretty quickly. So, we've got the limited pod we dropping in two weeks. So, I'll be in New Zealand for the world premiere and then that... Basically, that early that week, we'll record the pod for the limited set review. Um, and this time, we're actually going to have like a lot more. It's going to be an odd one because I'm going to have played with the set multiple times when we do this limited set review. So, I think it's going to be an interesting contrast of our, of our gradings potentially. <laughs> I'm yeah, sure we'll chat beforehand. That will help a lot. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> I think we get, we're actually rel- re- we're decently accurate. Honestly, when we revisit them, we're decently accurate. I think we have been yeah, for yeah. a couple sets. There's that some funny said, ones in there usually. Yes. That being said... <laughs> The theory can only take you so far, and as soon as you touch the set, or can I dare I even say sniff the set, uh, it puts everything into perspective. Like it is such mm-hmm. a great equalizer on actually evaluating what is good and what is not. Yeah, so people always talk about. So this week as well, I was kind of starting to look at the heroes a bit more in depth and just thinking about how they're going to play in limited. And and people talk about kind of how you can prep for something like this, the, the world premiere and a calling that is kind of unlike anything we've seen before that's going to happen in Queenstown, New Zealand, which is. We get our hands on the set for the very first time we play a calling with potentially, I'm just looking, I was looking at the preview schedule as well with potentially a lot of cards unrevealed, of course, on the Friday at the world premiere, those will become known. People will have time to play a couple of sealed events on the Friday, plus the Friday evenings to delve into the set a little bit more. Uh, But for the most part, you know, it's all going to be really new. But until we get those cards in our hands on the Friday, honestly, there's not a lot you can do. People talk about, you know, really breaking down the set and starting to look in depth at the heroes, think about how to build these decks. But theory is one thing and, and putting putting into practice like you say Brendan, is a completely different thing especially in the context of limited where the the power level of a card sits even less in a vacuum than it does in class constructed yeah, in limited sure. because of how the format actually plays class constructed you already have a basis of how the format kind of plays and what you're coming into with the decks that pre-exist but the limited format is for the most part completely new obviously you know it's still flesh and blood but you don't know what you don't know. So, yeah, I've been taking a look at some of the heroes this week, thinking about, you know, how they might play to a degree in limited, but expending too much brain capacity and energy, and I think is, is a little bit of a waste of time until that uh, next Friday mm-hmm. at the World Premiere, which yep. I'm super excited to. Also, I, uh, I was looking at my flights, and I used some points to upgrade to business for my flights to New Zealand, so I'm excited about well, that. Well, it's too. a short flight. I mean, let's be real. Like, <laughs> the, the business upgrade, it matters on the international flights. Like, I swear it's to God. It's technically international, dude. I'm yeah, true, 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 true. That is true. Um, yeah, the economy the economy long flights will take years off your life, but business, I mean, it's it's hilarious how big the difference is. It is truly the bourgeois that, that are able to sit up in business in first class on those longer flights. Um, what was I going to say? Yeah, for me, if I was preparing for the calling, I honestly wouldn't spend too much time. It, we have a podcast, so it's part of our, our job, I guess, to look and theorize on how these series plays. But I really wouldn't, if I was a player, I wouldn't really spend too much time theorizing. I would just play the world premiere, um, and then I would get a bunch of friends together and aggregate all those cards and build gauntlet decks and play decks against each other and get as many actual reps as possible, because I mm. think that that just really crystallizes um, how the set is actually going to play, because theory, theory can bring you in a lot of incorrect directions which be very dangerous when you're preparing for something like a calling yeah and and we're not going to have the opportunity to you know jump on tts and things like that like you were saying the other week like it looks like we're going to get majority of the set on the friday so yeah i mean you have you have the world premiere so that i think that's enough right if there was no world premiere i would definitely recommend yeah get on tts just the the end of the day the the advice is just get actual reps don't just sit there and Mm -hmm. theorize just get actual reps as many reps as possible um that should I'm interested. It's going to be a cool one to watch. Is there's, there's coverage, right, of the limited? 
portion. I believe so, yeah, because yeah, um, there's yeah. the celebrational happening in, in Savage, well, yeah. Mansant, and I, I believe Savage Feats are there, so I, I believe they'll be covering it. So I don't know to the extent of what they're covering. I know we had kind of last week on the pod, we'd said, is, is Ethan, are they able to cover the drafts? Is it ever going to be possible? Ethan did confirm no draft coverage in terms of the draft itself sounds like so yeah but it does yeah there will be coverage for the calling itself you get to see games so at least you get to watch some and, and inform some of your opinions before we do this here review uh, and and so will everyone else as well yep let's uh let's go to the news to the news and um brendan bow before me my unmatched powers for you futile struggles in the arena and nothing more than feeble floundering of an insect in the face of my brilliance that's the uh, nice welcome message you get on the Fab TCG webpage for the one and only Victor Goldman, high and mighty. So the sixth hero, final hero that we've seen now revealed for heavy hitters landing in just a couple of weeks. Five new heroes, one returning hero, Brendan, of course, and, and Reiner, who we did uh, we did show off. Five new adult heroes for CC. That's where I want to start before we dive into Victor Goldman and talk about kind of, um, I guess, the latest hero and, and, and just first thoughts and things like that. But five new adult heroes into CC. This is the most we've had introduced in any given set, any one set of heroes into Classic Constructed. What are your kind of, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, that's nearly, that's like a, what is that? It's about 20% increase in heroes almost. If you asked me this question three months ago, three plus months ago, I would have been pretty jaded and be like, it doesn't matter. It's not going to make an impact. But in the current state of Classic Constructed with the changes to Living Legend and just the current power level of the, the format as we've had these sort of more troublesome heroes rotate out, I think this could be a big shakeup. I really do. And if it's not a big shakeup, I think it'll change really quickly because of how quickly uh, the other heroes will rotate. So it's exciting. You know, I've, we've, I've been talking about it for years. I've gotten a lot of flack for it about Flesh and Blood um, having a rotating format as their primary mm -hmm. format. And um, that is what we have now. It is a version of it. Don't get me wrong, but it, it effectively is a rotating format, which should make the game a lot more exciting. You know, you're not going to just see the usual suspect, the usual suspects at every tournament for, you know, years on end. Yeah, I, I think this is, I, I kind of just echo the same thing. I think the fact that we're in a state of when it comes to power level and dominance of heroes, that looks very different to previous formats. Uh, and then these five heroes coming in. Look, I think there's some heroes that are going to struggle and not make an impact. I think there's some heroes that could potentially make an impact. It's going to be really hard to know until we see the full set um, where we're just looking at hero powers right now and judging based on a, an existing card pool in these classes and the hero ability and the few cards we have seen so far. Mm -hmm. But I think five is a is a huge impact whether regardless of i think what level so i think at you know the the armory level the grassroots level this is a this is the, probably the biggest impact in terms of playability of of classes and what it gives to players uh going along to their events every week to their local events to whatever it may be for the ability of the the heroes in these classes that can play of course you know we've got two new guardians we've got two new warriors uh one new bruce so that's a it's a big impact on what people can play and, and maybe dive into and then as we you know go up those rungs towards premier level play into the pro scene i think you know while we might not see an immediate impact to some of these heroes i think we will on others and i, I think that's super exciting plus just the card pool that you know just think about a hero like bravo or a hero like dorinthia um and just an expansion of card pool and what that can mean for those heroes as well so yeah i'm excited to see what what five heroes five new heroes means um plus the the support of heavy hitters as a, as a set in total all right let's read this bad boy out so victor goldman high and mighty guardian hero four intellect 40 life the first time each turn you create a gold token from an effect you control, draw a card. The first time each turn you would fail to win a clash, instead you may destroy a gold uh, a gold you control. If you do, put one of the revealed cards on the bottom of its owner's deck, then clash again. What do you make you of this? You got a mill here. You got a mill hero right here. I don't know if this is a mill hero. What, th this is like control. This is like a more controlled variance on the clash. I don't want to get too far away from the initial, the first line of text, which is the first time you create a gold token from an effect you control, draw a card. All right. So that that seems like the big power level to yeah, me. Yeah, for sure. <clears throat> and then this this clash mechanic is a way to sort of, I guess, manipulate the variance of uh, mechanically clash. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And I think. Having, you know, you were talking just before the pod about uh, a kind of graphic that, um, you know, friend of the pod, Yuha, had kind of shared on his his Twitter, his ex, whatever you want to say, <laughs> um, about the kind of regionality, the mechanics of these heroes and what they would, how they would overlap. And I think 
you know, obviously there's the there's the agility um, might, there's the gold side of it, there's the heroes that use the clash versus the wager mechanics. And I think, yeah, Victor looks like quite an interesting one from like, like you said, like mitigating some of the variance on what is like a very, I mean, the most variance driven mechanic we've seen in quite some time, right? Like it's a pure just, obviously you can build your deck in a way, but you're just purely flipping off the top, right? So this combined with, this is also, this makes you think that are we going to see like a fate for scene reprint potentially um, with opt and, and clash, but we can, oh. that's a, we can go there another time. We did, uh, we did forget in the news, the energy potion pro tour promo. You see oh that? yeah, Holy, that's, that's dude, a that nice so promo. Good. Yeah. If you haven't seen it, yeah, go check it out. Um, I reposted it. I'm sure other people posted it on Twitter. It's it's pretty nice. It's pretty nice to say the least. One of my favorite cards as well. So yeah, I'm definitely yeah. like sigil. The sigils have been like ah, I don't really mind too much, but I I, I want to say these. <laughs> I like the sigils. I, I actually really like them. But this is yeah yeah yeah. They're for fun. me, this is one of the most iconic cards in the game, and it looks really really good. Anyway, do you have any examples <laughs> that you can give me for Victor Boldmain? Like on. Like a situation, an interaction of multiple cards where this this ability is like really good. Have you thought about that at all? Have you been like, okay, this ability is powerful here? Because this ability is like, to me, when I first read it, it's a little bit abstract. I'm like, it doesn't really, you know, it doesn't hit home as much as like Ira's ability is like the second attack. It's plus one. This one's a bit more convoluted. Can you mm -hmm. give me an example of where this would be good? Yeah. Just to be, just to be clear, this isn't, isn't mill in any way, shape or form. It, it puts the card to the bottom of the deck. <laughs> but... um. I think this honestly, this feels like a mostly a limited mechanic to me until we see a lot more of the cards. And even then, it's still that second text to me feels like the limited portion of this this hero text a lot more. The like you said, the first portion of the text, like I don't really have too many examples. Like it's just going to come up limited in terms of you know you found a way you're going to utilize resources to make gold at times, um, and instead of maybe using resources to cash it in and, and dig through your deck, you can have this opportunity to win a clash that's really valuable to you, that's worth more than maybe a card or worth more than a couple of resources, and so you want to clash again to make sure you win that clash. Um, and I think that's what that second line of text is about. And yeah, and constructed Victor probably will use this a couple of times, but I think his deck and constructed will be built in such a way that he doesn't really lose clashes, right? You know, he, and he's he's picking like Victor to me strikes me as a hero that's going to be really important in a specific part of the meta where he wins every clash he has. You know, he's playing his decks with really low attack value or no attack actions in the deck, for instance. Mm. Um, so that's kind of where I see it. But I think it's this first line of text that, like you say, is the most interesting. I think Victor, so this is the crate I love previous season because people put out all their thoughts, right? Like uh, KO is the, like the, the strongest hero from the set or Victor just looks insanely like the busted, like could immediately be the best guardian or because I is already the best warrior with the hero, like the card pool we've got at available right now. My kind of first take on Victor is that he looks weaker than Betsy and is just immediately the, the current weakest guardian. Um, but one of the cool things I think you can do with the gold tokens with Victor is if you do have good ways to make gold and you create, you draw cards off them. The other thing you can be doing as well is you can like crack that gold immediately with a blue, hold a resource over and now you're playing like two card or effectively like because you've drawn a card from making the gold, like one card or two card, four attacks, you know, like the, the old pitcher blue and use your tunic to play like a four cost mm -hmm. guardian action. Now you get to do that consistently off the gold tokens. Um, that's what's kind of interesting to me, but we, haven't seen if we've got the cards to support that yet. Yeah, interesting. I was thinking of, I think that's a very relevant uh, application in regards to the tunic and or pitching the gold token and have, being able to play the four cost. But I was thinking in the case of like, it just might change up your turn cycle a bit more where you can block a bit more aggressively and then basically have an arsenal card guaranteed. Because uh, let, let, let's say you're guaranteed to win the clash because that's where it's powerful. Um, you're able to manipulate the game state or the decks are, are constructed in a way that you win most, if not all clashes. You can now you know, consistently win your clashes with your gold tokens, draw that card and arsenal that card, effectively being up an additional point or multiple points of value on a, uh, an exchange across the turn cycle which would be very very powerful like if you could just effectively like if you could kind of consistently like one-sided ponder or ponder is one-sided but you know the thing that creates it isn't usually one-sided yeah. if you can consistently ponder like that while doing you know your primary game plan that would be very powerful I, again i just think it depends on the cards like if we look at so let's go to the um victor specialization that we've seen so far mm -hmm. that was previewed along with victor which is uh, called the golden sun it's, they're really doubling down on this. It's a four cost at yellow, guardian attack, defense for three, attacks for seven, it's majestic. 
and says there's additional cost to play this. You may destroy a gold you control. If you do this, it gets plus three and overpower. So you're mm-hmm. looking at a, a four for 10 with overpower. Uh, and when you win a clash, revealing this, create a gold token. So if you clash and you reveal the golden sun off your clash, then you create a gold token. So, you know, this requires you effectively get to trade in gold here for plus three and overpower. It's a pretty good trading on gold. Um, and that's kind of what I'm looking for is like, Obviously, you know, we've seen now we've got Victor, we've got things like Golden Sun, we've got ways to like use the gold tokens. Now what I'm looking for is good ways to make gold tokens. That's that's now what I'm looking for. Um, and ideally, some things with Clash that would make gold tokens would be, you know, kind of in the upper echelon, I think, for for this hero. Mm, I think we talked about this already, but what quantitative value would you assign to gold, a gold token? Uh, I mean, in the case of the Golden Sun, it's- I know. But in general, it's worth about it's worth about a card, right? Yeah, um, or close to a card. In general, I think you know it's probably going to be. I mean, fa- face value. If you just straight up trade your gold token in off a of blue, and you net one resource, right? Mm-hmm. And you're a card, so it's worth a, a resource. That's that's kind of the floor for a gold token. So, I want my gold tokens to be worth a, about a card, ideally. And I th- I think that's looking like it's going to be hard, and that's another reason I think Victor is, you know, not going to be the strongest of heroes, but if it's close to a card, I think I think I'm in on at least being interested in what Victor Goldman might do. But there also needs to be a couple more payoff cards. I think. What's the value of a card? Is it three or is it four, or is it three and a half? Um, I think in in flesh and blood, realistically, so any given card in a in a hand and is generally worth three. But I think the way you look and build decks in flesh and blood is worth three point five to four, really. Yeah. So plus three overpower. That's like a three point five, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's worth basically a cup. Mm-hmm. Okay. But that's on a majestic specialization. So, yeah. <laughs> you know. These heroes, I will say, before getting your hands on the cards, I know I felt this a bit with Bright Lights, but they are they're decently confusing because they're not very face value, right? There's like a lot of other contextual things you have to think about when trying to evaluate the power level, which is like, yeah. how much, how consistently can I create gold? How consistently can I win clashes? How consistently am I clashing? And how consistently am I wagering? And how am I making the, like making these tokens? Like there is like so much that is not actually printed on the card that you're evaluating mm-hmm. that you have to take into account when, when trying to um, figure out the power level. It's very confusing for me to be honest i think that i'm actually i think i have to play the set before we do the, yeah. the limited review i'm not I'm like i'm serious like i think we have to kind of play the set because it's there's so many layers to this um that it's just like okay i mean there's so much more going on behind this card to try to figure out if it's actually good or not and especially in limited alice is a pretty they usually do previous season and show the mechanics off a lot right so you know we've seen a lot of cards with mechanics which is not uncommon maybe this is a little bit higher than usual but usually the mechanics are generally one-sided right they're mm-hmm. they're one-dimensional mechanics it's like oh, i have to do this i have to reveal a card to my fuse to achieve this whereas all of these mechanics involve well majority of these mechanics involve two players you know clash wager etc so there's there's an, a second it's almost like double the amount of things to think about kind of like you say um I mean, in terms of Clash, I talked about, you know, cards to create these gold tokens. The, the one that really stands out right now is the generic block card, Test of Strength. Uh, this is a generic block at common, uh, at red, at defense for four, and says, when this defends, Clash with the attacking hero, the winner creates a gold token. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's a fantastic way. You effectively, I mean, think about this, right? Your opponent attacks, you play this as Victor Goldman, you Clash, and you get back your card you just blocked with for four. Like, that's pretty insane, that's insane. value. Yeah, so that's, that's insane value. If you're able to make sure you're always, you know, you've got that's good true. ways to create gold tokens that are already so this test of strength is already a great card right so you're, you're getting a cards with the defensive value out of it and then you're also drawing a card back up plus getting the gold token like that's crazy crazy value so if victor if all the cards are in the realm of test of strength and and um golden sun and things like that then i mean okay i'll take my words back on victor goldman but yeah. I, I don't think that's going to be the case and then you pair it with a card like boast which is a guardian block majestic that's a blue um and blocks for three but it says this gets plus x while defending where x is twice the number of clashes you've won this turn mm-hmm. that seems like a strong blue potentially yep uh also this will this will trigger because so this gets plus six while defending so this will if you play i believe and he said i'm just saying this on the spot because i'm looking at it right now but i believe if you play this plus uh test of strength mm-hmm. is that what's called yeah test of strength you would get and you won the clash this would defend for five and you'd be defending for nine of your two cards 
Yep. Plus you get your gold token. Your That's opponent is clashing into you. You block, you win the clash, then they attack. I mean, I think so each clash is its own instance, right? So you can't win two mm-hmm. cl- you can't you can't win two clashes in one instance of combat, right? So like if they attack uh, with a clash card and you can. block with it. Oh, you can. Okay. So they attack with a clash card, you block with a clash card, you win both clashes, then they have go again, and then you block with this after on the the next attack. Would you have won? So I'm just Yeah, I mean it it's a funky ruling. So. Oh, do you mean do you mean do you trigger gold main twice? Yeah. yeah. Well not really gold main twice. Do you also do you also satisfy the condition for bows twice? Uh number yeah, of clashes. Clash twice. Yeah. Yeah. You've yeah, the, each clash is a, a separate uh, trigger. Yeah. So I was just thinking I was just thinking about these, these guardian mirrors potentially and how hilarious that could be. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm, a I mean, I'm looking forward to more guardian for mirrors. I'm blocking for forty five. Okay. <laughs> Um, let's talk about the guardian weapon that we've been shown as well which I guess this is I mean is this going to be Victor's signature weapon yeah. okay first let's, let's first all read it so it's Miller's Grindstone it's a guardian weapon one handed hammer uh, attacks for four it's at rear and it says once per turn action three resources attack that seems really powerful right Brendan mm-hmm. it also says when this hits a hero clash with them if you win destroy the top card of the deck there's your mill effect if they win, put a minus one counter on this. So Miller's Grindstone gives you a way to have a breakpoint of four where you get to clash. And um, if you clash, obviously, as Victor Goldmain, well, you know, the first time each turn, you're going to create a gold token. So, uh, oh, sorry, you're not going to create a gold token. Never mind. That, that's the, this, is the, this is the thing that um, Sasha was saying to me. I was like, I think that's how it works, man. Yeah. Um, but if you would fail the clash, you can also destroy. Sorry, destroy the gold token and have another chance at your um at your weapon not getting a minus one counter on. Because as soon as this gets a minus one counter on it, now you've lost your break point. Now it's down to three. Yeah, starting would, to look a little bit dubious. Maybe yeah, I'm thinking you probably just slide this into matchups where you're just gonna be winning because consist- uh, winning clashes consistently. This is a very obnoxious anti cano card, uh, but I do want to say <laughs> I want to let everybody know this is a reference to a magic card called Grindstone that costs one. It's an mm-hmm. artifact from Tempest. Um, if you're not familiar with magic, just just strap in because I'm going to read the card text. So Grindstone, artifact. Uh, it costs three and tap. Put the top two cards of target player's library into that player's graveyard. If both cards share at least one color, repeat this process. So that's also a combo card. Uh, where you could effectively, you know, make the cards all the same color in someone's deck with another card, and then you mill the entire deck. But the card in of itself is a mill card, and this is a painter's mil- servant. Yeah, <laughs> painter's servant. So this is very on the nose, Miller, Miller's grindstone. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, Flesh and Blood has had a lot of uh, magic references, but I just want to point it out because it's kind of fun because this one is definitely yeah an yeah. ode to that card. Yeah, weapon's cool. I think in limited, this is where I'm thinking about this the most in terms of. We haven't seen what the Majestic Weapons will look like yet, or if indeed we get Majestic Weapons, but we haven't seen what they look like yet for these heroes. I want to ask you a question. Rare cycles of weapons. This does something quite interesting. We haven't seen this before in a limited oh. format. This is going to give a rare weapon that you draft. So you'd have to draft Miller's Grindstone. It's not a token. Well, How do you feel about that? <laughs> well, I've been on the wrong side of Majestic Weapons in draft, and that was not fun. Uh, Winter's they, Whale. They, 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 you yeah. see them a lot less Winter's than you see a But is this as powerful as Winter's Whale? Because I think that like this card, if you no. win every clash, this card is actually so obnoxiously good. But as soon as you lose a clash, it's not that good. Also, so milling the card, we say mill, destroy the card. I don't know if mill is a mechanic in flesh and blood or if it's been... Yeah, destroy the top card of the deck. Yeah, destroy the top card of the deck. If you did that, whether you won or lost, this card would still be obnoxious, I think. It would still be very good. But because yeah, you have so. to win in order to do that... Um, I think that like as soon as you lose a single clash, like this card's power level goes significantly down. As soon as you lose two, it's like you have a really bad weapon. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't know. To be honest, like I don't know. I don't know how I feel about the the rare drafting weapons. I'm trying to think. We've ever had a weapon in rare. I think you're right. No, I really not not we have, but not in not, limited. Not sets. limited. Yeah, yeah. So, we've had them in supplemental sets. I'm interested to see. I'm like starts and play stays and play equipment weapons uh it'll be cool to see how the weapons affect that mechanic in limited uh but yeah it seems really powerful if you can consistently win clashes or manipulate the the game state to us, yeah that's just yeah. It, this is going to be insane i think we really need to see the common weapons first yeah but you're right maybe you know you play this against warrior but you don't play this in the guardian mirrors and limited for instance like mm. I, I like that like that's a cool mechanic to have um and probably you know maybe not against the brute side though or the rhinos in particular but and it could just the, um, the common weapon could just be better too, like it's possible. Potentially, yeah, could be. Could be. 
All right. I think that's kind of Victor uh, Privilege Goldman talked about, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> this guy is so funny. <laughs> Uh, um, oh, there's one other card we need to talk about, which is stacked in your favor, which is a Guardian Action Aura at rare, uh, the defense of two, and at red, a cost two as well. And at uh, red, it says, go again, your attack action cards get plus three while defending. Uh, at the start of your turn, destroy this, draw a card, then put a card from your hand on top of your deck. So it has a little brainstorm, since we're naming magic effects, Brendan, a little brainstorm mm-hmm. effect there. Um, I don't know. I don't know what I think about this card. I mean... You don't get a card back on the flip side because you put a card back, but you get a bit of card selection and clash selection. So, this is good for clash selection. That is really um, cool. That is actually cool. I didn't think about a brainstorm effect in clash. I actually like that a lot. That's a really cool effect. I uh, should say draw three and then put a card on top. Uh, no, okay. Uh, <laughs> put two cards on top. But um, yeah, that's really cool, actually. Manipulating the top card of your deck via effects like this in order to win clashes. That'll be really fun limited. That'll be cool. Yeah, it seems good in Guardian Mirrors. It has go again. You get to block with two cards on your turn. You get plus six value out of this. Like that's. It's also a mind game, right? Your opponent doesn't know what you put on top, so they actually don't know if you put the winning Clash card on top. Or just a bad card. You don't want that turn. It's cool. All right, let's go to Commander Cookout YouTube section. I'll let you uh, let you take it away, Brennan. Mm. All right, first one is from Three Floating. Thank you for the love. Maybe we can level up uh, 2024 by having a little Brendan versus Hayden fight night to see who really wins on camera. Wishing you guys a killer year. I don't know if that'd be a fair fight. At the moment, Hayden's a little good at the game now, um, but appreciate it. I always lose on camera, though, to you. Yeah, yeah, I I know, which is hilarious, because we have so many funny, funny, funny gameplay videos where I just absolutely rob Hayden. (laughs) It's just so unfair. (laughs) I remember the one we did for Channel Fireball with Azalea and Chain. Oh, that one was amazing. It just got absolutely rolled. Next one is from AndyFan5911. Um, speaking for myself, I would love to see LSS lean more into the story side and expand on the world, including monthly seasons of lore-based gimmicks. Uh, we'll keep it fresh. Let's uh, let's play Corsham as a permanent or require deck restrictions for everyone having to run Crazy Bruce. I think this is more on like the armory level. Um, yeah, of course. That's what that's what yeah, Andy's talking about. No, it's on the PT level. Players and- <laughs> Talking I mean, about that would be, that would be like Metazoo, right? by the way. Metazoo does shit oh, like that. <laughs> so, um, yeah. That, I, I mean, mean, I go ahead. It's interesting. I, I think you know, Magic did this for a little bit with um, Conflux. Was it called Conflux? That it was called, uh, or I can't remember the set, but they made it basically like a a set that had a a environment to it. So kind of like PV kind of elements to it. And I think you know, that's it's about caution there as a permanent. There's deck restrictions, things like that. I mean, we've done those at locals before. We're just self-imposed. You know, we're like, we're going to say, oh, this month you have to use certain heroes. Or I know some people have done like elimination events where they're like, okay, each for for like this three-month period, every hero that wins the armory can no longer be played for the rest of the events. And maybe that's not, and this is Blitz, so there's a lot of heroes available, but um, it's store by store, I think. But I mean, if Alice is through some support, towards those sorts of things I mean, it could be fun i do agree on law based things that i think my some of my favorite times in flesh and blood is around like the monarch era where alice just really leaned into the law elements and how that played into events as well yeah i think the law in flesh and blood is criminal it is so criminal how they don't expand on it and lean into it because it's a hero-based game right it's like the entire pitch mm-hmm. of their game is that you're supposed to empathize with your hero um, and sort of role play as it during the match. I know maybe if you're a competitive player, you're like, what are you talking about? Like, no, that is actually what the game is trying to pitch. That is, that is a core aspect of the game. Um, and then they just have this lackadaisical, you know, way of introducing lore to the game. It's very inconsistent. Mm-hmm. It's like sometimes here, sometimes not. And then we, you know, we had it back in Monaco, you said, and it just really hasn't come back. So I would really, I would like to see them do that. I think it would be a, a very worthwhile investment for them as well. It's a, it's a shame we haven't had it so far. I was actually thinking about lore the other day. No. I hope that if they do lore, they add some depth to it because there's nothing more I dislike. Uh, and this is very, this is my opinion. Then lore that is very surface level and is just tropes and gimmicks. I like lore that has like a deeper meaning or like layers to it, where you actually have to sort of know the lore, investigate the lore, and you can peel back the layers and what the real story is. And I hope that they do that because the, I there's honestly nothing more I hate than like base sort of tacked on surface level fantasy lore that is com- completely uh, you know, comprised of tropes. I can't stand that. So hopefully we get a little bit more depth. Like Kano is like secretly, you know. He's secretly the good guy, you know, and that's why all 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 the cool people play him. <laughs> Have you ever seen the uh, or heard of the Netflix TV show Elite? It's like a Spanish TV show. No, it's a, set like a elite private 
school, right? And mm-hmm. I just imagine that that's what Victor Goldmain's backstory would be. You know, it's just like the Victor Goldmain is actually just the utilitarian good guy, and he's he's doing all of these oh. bad things to save whatever region or whatever kingdom he's from from this like deep Lovecraftian evil that is threatening the world, but nobody else knows about it. It's just Victor, and he's taking you know he has to be a little bit of an asshole to do that. He's definitely got main character energy. Yeah, they should. Uh, <laughs> next question comes from, or next uh, YouTube comment is from Chisholm Triple Eight. This is Hamish uh, from the Push the Point podcast. I think for promos for Lakana and One Piece, the IP on those games is so strong, and people have an attachment to the IP. I feel like the idea of Fab to really push the law more. I like the idea of Fab to really push the law more and get more people to get promos that follow a story. So similar to what Andy's saying there, um, or have some promos that follow a narrative rather than just a card that is different for the sake of it. This won't be enough. There are many other factors such as, is the place you're playing inviting? Is the scene you want to be a part of? Did you play a lot lately and want a break? Is it close to Christmas? This is, of course, in response to last week, we were talking about uh, a question that came out just in terms of, you know, how do we, how do you get people into store? How do you get people back into playing Flesh and Blood, maybe through down periods? And um, we talked a lot about this kind of period being a, a really true down period because unlike last year, we had a new set. We have no new set, no events. So it is a, a true down period. Um, okay. I, promos that are relevant i think is the thing that is important like some of the times i look at the armory promos i'm like oh maybe i'll go play an armory this week you know i'm interested in some of these promos and i look and it's like the weirdest promo that i just couldn't care about i i would love to see and i know i know we talked a lot about magic already in this pod but friday night magic i used to love going to friday night magic and being like oh remand is the like the promo this month you know a card that's like super relevant in the history of the game and also you know is currently played in a particular format or whatever as opposed to going along and being like, oh, it's, you know, it's a hatchet of whatever this month. <laughs> I don't know. The weapons are at least kind of cool. But some of the other card promos, I'm just like, oh, okay. But, you know, I'd love to see some cards that are a little bit more relevant maybe. You know, I, I, I go win my armory and then I'm like, yes, I get to sleeve this into my deck. I just won this kind of like mm. armory exclusive fate for scene or whatever. And, yeah, I, I think that that's, that's what I would like to see. Just piggybacking off what Hamish is saying. Yeah, I don't have too much to say. I just, uh, I don't know in regards to programs, promos, because I think they motivated me at the onset of Flesh and Blood, but they don't motivate me anymore. That being said, there are outliers, like the Fade for Scene promo from the APAC region, I think. That would motivate mm-hmm. me to go to an armory. The Sigil Solace from Barcelona would motivate me to go to an armory. The current energy potion that's going to be released at the PT, that would motivate me to go to an armory. Um, you know, Hatchet of Mind, Cold Foil doesn't motivate me to do anything uh yeah but uh well, did you hear so i don't know if you know this but in in new zealand at the moment in the lead up to the calling queenstown they're um, running these like ravenous rebel events where people are basically doing armory-esque events these stores have been given some ravenous rebels to give away um I can, so I that, can that's just, cool ravenous rebels yeah there's so have you seen the promo there's a promo ravenous rebel for oh, um the next round of calling so they're at hartford they're at um uh, queenstown and they're, they're like, it's like very vampiric, the art on this mm. Ravenous Rebel, if you haven't seen it. Uh, you can go check it out on Alice's website. But yeah, so some of the events, there's been some events in New Zealand, the lead up to the calling coming up next weekend, Ravenous Rebel events. I can't remember what the, the event name is actually called, but they're giving away these Ravenous Rebels for the winner. Um, that's awesome. I think it's such a cool way to do it. It's something to do in the off season. So, you know, I guess my question would be, why couldn't we extend these kind of events to the whole play network? And I get it. It's in the lead up to a calling and... This Revenous Rebel is a promo at the calling, but yeah. Do you want to go next question? Uh, or next, well, uh, I comment? actually love this one. Um, I can't say this name though. What is it? Uh, it I don't know. Yeah, because there's, there's numbers in it. All right, 22 of 4. <laughs> Guatemalan player here. Hayden. Why'd you? <laughs> I can't believe it. Any happened. region in the world. Guatemalan player. This is in reference to Hayden saying that Guatemalan ProQuest were soft. Uh, no, he was trying to speak about a region that he didn't think was highly represented in Flesh and Blood, but here we go. Guatemalan player here. Thanks for noticing us. Sadly, we don't have official support yet, so buying a PTI would be the only way to get there. Still, uh, still a five-player ProQuest seems like the most likely scenario. Well, I just, just shout, out to the, shout out to the Guatemalan players, but I think that's kind of proving my point. So. <laughs> about regionality and you know the the viability of of buying ptis and i think the the competition yeah i think but you you had a good point as well yeah i think uh no i think the regionality and i all i stand pretty firm that not everything should be fair 
I think that there is unfairness in between ProQuest and the level of competition. That is okay. That is how things work. And that is okay. Yep. If you want to spend $500, $1,000 to go fly to some ProQuest that you think you can win, by the way, you're not guaranteed. You think you can win because you think it's going to be easier? Go for it. Go for it. You're, you're taking the risk and you're taking the financial risk, the time risk. And yeah, that's up to you. But uh, hitting, hitting up your mate for a $500 PTI, that's uh, it's not the same. I um, speaking of flying to ProQuest, I was reminiscing on Sunday. I had uh, lunch with the Tall Timmy. Shout out to the Tall Timmy. And oh, we didn't get a doing? picture. How's he doing? He's he's doing well. He's doing well. So I had lunch with the Tall Timmy. One of your favorites, Tom Dowling, who you like to invoke a lot on the uh, podcast, and Nick Butcher. Uh, and we were having lunch, and me and me and Nick were on the train back, and we we're talking about going to events. And I was like, Ah, oh, skirmish season one. I flew to four skirmishes. Yeah, it's because it <laughs> was the them. most competitive. I know. Yeah, it was. There was nothing else. I did the same thing. That was the height of flesh and blood competitive. It was right so there. fun. Everyone it did was that. So fun. First pro quest season. First road to national seasons. Those things were. Yeah. I mean, they were like pulling like hundred player. Yeah, it was crazy. It was crazy. Yeah. All I kind of right. want to do that again. I kind of want to do that again. I, 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 you could say, okay, callings and PTs have replaced that, but to get to callings and PTs, I can't do that in one weekend. So, so I don't think that will ever happen again. I think that is simply a symptom of the game being new and that being the new thing. Uh, if you want COVID. to invoke that experience thing, I think you have to play a new game. Like you'd have to play some, something at the ground level because I just don't, I don't think it will happen organically. Unfortunately, but that's okay because that. I'll just reminisce. Yeah, it's, it's a, yeah, exactly. That's a good word for it because you're. It's actually a, a nostalgia issue because you act you are are doing that you you mm. literally are doing it but you're doing it with pro tours in the world championships right now you reminisce for it's not it's uh, it's a different level of it right you know it's a it's a it's it's a different type of the same thing i think it's the flight as brendan likes to always say it's the flight that gets you all right all right marcus brown three zero zero seven brendan mm -hmm. i think the simple fact that beat chest is one keywording the long text line of as additional cost discard a card at random but two it's a card of your choosing so more agency and brute is going to give them more consistently three it promotes the use of romping club because brute has been pigeoned pigeonholed for a while as a deck that uses their claws uh to brb and send another big thing at the end plus i think uh the way They've Im implemented Intimidate is better than some of those uh, original printings like Pack Hunt and Smash Instinct. They're learning what a mechanic means to a player experience and, de and designing using that feedback loop. Mm -hmm. The only thing I disagree with is Intimidate versus B-Chess. I thought that I thought, and you know, honestly, based off things that Brian said, I thought Intimidate was like their, their ideal realization of that concept. That's why I was so surprised when I saw B-Chess. I don't think Intimidate was a flawed mm -hmm. mechanic from a design standpoint, right? I think that they intentionally decided they were happy with it. And yeah, BGS is just a little blurry variant version of that. I mean, obviously, it's different, but yeah, I was very surprised. I mean, just I think the, they were pretty intent. The intent behind it was pretty purposeful in designing Ice as well. But like Intimidate, neither of them were particularly fun. <laughs> so I, I think it's not a design law or anything like you say i think it's a it's a good mechanic but good mechanics aren't always fun mechanics you know so mm -hmm. um i don't know all right, yeah ne next one sorry sorry yeah you go no you go <laughs> all right all right next one's from canadian merc they say skull crack requires a random discard so beaches won't work here sadly this is a reference to something you said hayden but, um, yeah, I know. Yeah, I got that wrong. I was just talking about how how enjoyable beat chest is with making sure you can choose to discard your beast within. And then I said Skullcrack, and I didn't actually look at Skullcrack before I said that. So that does not work. But it does work with beast within. Mm -hmm. And right. then uh, just to, we, there was a, a really long reply to our discussion on uh, particularly around archetypes. We had a, a brief discussion on archetypes in Flesh and Blood. And then there was this a very long reply from all well, these numbers, Mr. E31415. Uh, so, you know, I'm not going to read that response out because it's probably like a 10 minute monologue, but shout out. You made some good points. If anyone wants to read it, they can go look at the episode 143 comments and, and check that out. Main topic Brendan. Yes. What is punting? Why are you doing it? And how it's killing your game and how to stop it. First of all, Brendan, what exactly in flesh and blood terms is a punt or punting? Well, I don't think it has to be related to flesh and blood. It's, um, yeah, obviously it's transferable across other card games, but also across, I think, and most life. things, life. Yeah. <laughs> so punting, I, I'd say punting for me is making a play that 
I know is incorrect and not really understanding why I do it. And yeah. And then immediately having that realization of like, what, <laughs> what, what was that? What did I just do? Why did I do that? Um, honestly, for me, when it comes to punting, my biggest issue with, or my biggest, the re main reason I do punt and it happens is because I play too fast and I get distracted. Like sometimes I just do things and I don't really know why I do them. And I didn't clearly didn't think enough because immediately after I make the play, I am confronted with the optimal scenario. And I was like, what? I j I'm so mm. confused about where my mind-body connection decided to play that card in that order rather than the optimal line. Um, I think that punting can also have a cascading effect, which, you know, one punt leads to tilt and then punts lead to punts. <laughs> and you are now punting away your game. Uh, but yeah, punting for me is just making a mistake, especially in the context of a mistake that, um, in hindsight, I should have absolutely not made. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's generally, um, it's not, it's not the same as a mistake. I think that's kind of what I, like, sometimes you make small mistakes and they're minor mistakes in games. And, you know, you can kind of get away with it or they're not obvious. Maybe it's a, just a you have choices and lines of play and they're kind of complicated or they're at least not super face up. And, you know, you take one play or the other or an opponent does or whatever it is. And, and that that isn't I think, to be clear, I don't think that's what a, a punt is. And I think we're kind of giving a bit more of a term to this because the reason I wanted to talk about this is I think there's a real difference between playing optimally and not playing optimally but still playing well maybe maybe just not quite completely optimally and still being able to navigate and play near your best and do things in a way where you're making good decisions for the most part you're using the information you have at your disposal and you're thinking through your games and overall you're playing generally well and i think that's where you know you need to be as a player but that's very different to generally punting games or giving away games when there's like a, a face-up piece of the game there's a there's a combat trick on board the opponent has a way to win the game and you know about it <clears throat> and you don't stop it because you like you say you just forgot about it or it's something that you would normally do or sorry something you wouldn't normally do but you end up doing in the situation so i think it's really key to make sure you know the difference between these two things because you are never going to go through basically any game of flesh and blood or majority of flesh and blood games without a mistake like it's just unfortunately it's gonna it's gonna happen somewhere and they're not gonna be obvious all the time and they're gonna be it's gonna be hindsight all the time it's gonna be branching thought processes on what you could have done differently but there's gonna be really obvious times where it's like there is only one objective correct play here you should be able to see it or you should not sometimes you know it might not be you know one man's punt is not another man's punt right so to speak or one person's punt not another person's punt but these things are generally very, very obvious face-up things. And these are the things that are going to really derail your events, your games, because these are ones that you should be able to, these are the low-hanging fruit that you should be able to say, oh, I can pick these up and fix these immediately. So I thought, Brennan, why don't we talk some of our most famous punts? Oh. And then, uh, you know, in hindsight, now thinking about it or what you learned from that and how you make sure you don't make those, those quote-unquote punts again. I can start if you want. Yeah, I have a few, yeah. Okay. All right. We'll just we'll just rattle them through and talk about our learning. So, I think one I'm going to go with my most recent one, which is uh, nationals mm -hmm. top. Well, actually, that's not even the most recent one, but nationals top four playing against Kano nope. and you know wildfire. I know the math on wildfire, Brendan. I've played a lot of wildfire combo in my time, right, and, and resolved a lot of Aether wildfires, and I know the math on it. And my opponent plays wildfire and. For some reason, I convinced myself that I shouldn't crack my Seeker's equipment to prevent an extra damage on the wildfire and save it, even though it's going to cost me an extra four damage. I don't know why. That's a that's a big old punt. That's just immediately the incorrect play. I know the play. It's face up. And I lose out on four damage and potentially the game as well. Uh, so there you go. That's, that's a, a recent punt of mine. And I guess learning wise, yeah, take time. Go with the basics. Mm -hmm. don't, <laughs> don't overcomplicate things as often happens. Yeah, so I have a few. And it's funny that I remember all these, because I remember these, like, I don't remember a lot of things, but I remember a lot of these. I remember punts. <laughs> yeah, so I was playing versus uh, Caleb, Majin Bay, first time I ever met him, which was a hilarious experience, because I was like, uh, hey, how's it going? And he was like, yeah, I play a little game called Legends of Terra. I'm like, is it good? And he's like, I mean, he's a pretty... He's a big Legends of Terra player. <laughs> he played it down a lot. Um, anyway, I had lethal. I'd been setting up lethal. I was playing Ice Lexi, tall Ice Lexi. I've been setting up lethal, and um, I play something like a, a pump, and then I have dominate my arrow. Guaranteed lethal can't do anything. I have two arrows in hand. I played the wrong arrow. I just played the arrow that didn't have dominate. 
um, yeah, I don't know why I did that, and it was uh, it was not good. I did still win that match, but it was just like I immediately when I played it, I was like, excuse me, <laughs> excuse me. <laughs> He's like, that doesn't have dominate. I was like, what? <laughs> All right. Um, on my first feature match ever in Vegas, I was playing against a Reinar player, and oh. I had Plunder <laughs> Run in my arsenal. I was playing Chain, and uh, yeah, I just didn't play it. And I was so embarrassed that I didn't play it at the beginning of the combat chain, I decided to leave it in there for the next turn. I was like, I'm not just going to run this out mid-combat chain. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, there's that. Even though it was the correct thing to do. <laughs> yep, it definitely would have been the correct thing to do. I just IP penaltyed myself. Um, I had another one. Oh, I was playing Kano at the first Pro Tour. I think I'd already... I was already out but i was playing against a chain player and they had spell void 2 equipment which is uh surprising back then and i had gotten the multiple scenarios where i could combo them and i was kind of just like waiting until i was trying to poke enough to where my combo would have been lethal which was so dumb i should have just played my combo seven turns earlier and put them at like four or six and then just killed them off the top but i was so like myopically focused on my combo being a lethal a lethal sequence in the game that I just didn't do it so I just lost the game uh that was dumb and there's a million others but those are just a few that come to mind let's talk about that last one do you yeah. think that last one is like a strict so this is where people you know we're going to talk about the definition of like a punt right that's definitely do you think that last one is like a strict punt because sure. in theory like you hadn't played the deck that much yeah it was just being bad at Kano that's like immediately I realized I was like oh it was obviously optimal in the scenario due to it being spell void. There was no situation where it was really going to get better for me. Mm. Like it, I was playing the same scenario, but I was playing the wrong side of it, right? Comboing, like trying to get enough poke damage in now and comboing later was a higher variance line than comboing now when he guaranteed has no cards in hand, only has a spell void to yeah, block yeah. and then putting that four or six where you'd have no arcane barrier and then winning from there rather than, just, or I think I'd like one or two uh, arcane barrier or, you know, trying to basically reverse it and do all the poke yeah. damage now and then combo them later because when I'm comboing later, when I do the combo later, the combo requires cards in hand, requires resources. So I'm putting an extra layer variance on it because I, I conditionally have to have those cards in hand it, and as soon as he puts me at a low enough life total and I have to block, it takes cards out of my hand so I reduce the window in which I can play the combo. So I was actually just being bad and I, was, I knew yeah, that. Yeah, and I knew, right. and I knew that at the point and I was just like, why the fuck did I sit there and do nothing the entire game? <laughs> I don't know. Just bad. Um, this is the level I think that, so that I think that's, you know, that's a bit more of an intricate knowledge thing, right? This, this one is, I think one that I think every player can learn from and probably most players, especially players who are victims of like thinking ahead too far or moving through turns too fast have fallen victim to, which is like not using your attack reactions correctly. And my ultimate example is playing for i think it was winning in for top eight of like the very first ever pti event uh before they were called battle hardens <laughs> at a calling was we go to like reactions or we go to defense and my opponent like tanks for ages i'm playing chain my opponent tanks oh, for yeah. ages and then eventually he like decides how he's going to defend and i know i have lethal i'm like oh i have lethal here and then i just forget to pop my snapdragon scales because yeah. oh. i got distracted Oh, that's, deli yeah, that's delightful, Hayden. Yeah, the finals <laughs> of a calling. Um, yeah. I've, draw I've been playing this a slog of a game on Bravo, and uh, it's all leading up to... I'm playing Ninja, actually. It's against Bravo, and it's all leading up to my big pivot turn with my Snapdragon Scalers, and I just don't pop them. <laughs> and the turn ends, and I lose the game. Just forget. Yeah, yeah. So... What a card. <laughs> what a card. Snapdragon Scalers. Uh, it's like the the... The punt mecha is that card. What do you think? Let's think about this. A, a punt or, you know, a, a colossal mistake could be another way to put this right in flesh and blood terms. How do you think this differs to other games? I was thinking about this, like my time, my time spent playing other games, other TCGs, or even like board games, right? Or even like just computer yeah. games. I know where you're going with it. it. I think it's your... To it, me, it feels more To me, it feels right? a lot bigger. Yeah, I yeah, think more it's because in flesh, in flesh and blood, your opponent immediately punishes you punishes you where in other games it doesn't immediately happen and you have to self-reflect in order to realize you took a suboptimal line like i was playing a lorcana tournament this past weekend the biggest one they've had and there was multiple times where i played the card and i was just like this is just not optimal like there is like there is a very very small 
a different play, the difference in play I can make, but it would just be, why did I just take, like, mm -hmm. I, this happens a lot in other card games, but it's like, I drew, if you played Hearthstone, something like this, it's like, I played my card, I was going to play this card, but I played it before I drew cards. Because, like, I could sequence it to where I'd have more information. And, like, that seems like a small mistake, but in a game like Hearthstone, and what kind of calling it like Hearthstone, that's a huge mistake. Like, it's just so dumb. Like, I, not dumb, but it's like, why would you do that? It's like, it's such an objectively incorrect thing to do because all you do is limit your your potential outputs. You limit your information and you self-inflict that. And I think that in Flesh and Blood, it's not as self your your opinion will, your opponent will immediately punish you on the back end usually and it becomes crystallized mm -hmm. very clear where in other games it's more of a self-reflection it doesn't really coalesce or you know happen and you don't really reap the rewards or the lack of rewards the the punishment of your mistake till later in the game where in flesh and blood it's just mm -hmm. like immediate it's like oh often yeah uh, often oh, i have one card left in hand draw three cards back up it's bad yeah yeah it's like you're, you know, you're, you're sitting there, your opponent has like an onboard trick or something. Like maybe it's, um, you know, you've seen them reveal earlier in the game, like a, a, a pummel and maybe you clash with them. Maybe you're playing the new guardian and you see a pummel on top and you know, they have pummel in hand. And then all of a sudden, you know, you block this, this card by say, first say it's coming for six, you block, for, maybe it's the, the, the command of conquer. You like, you just block. You know they have the pummel and you know you have to keep your arsenal card and you just lose the arsenal card and you're like, why Why did I do that? I know yeah. I could have just got through this turn to keep Oof. this arsenal card. There's just, there's plays like that that are just like so obvious at the time. But like these mistakes happen because either we, we play too fast, we start thinking about other lines, we don't consider the information we have at our hands. And in Flesh and Blood, there is a lot of known and unknown information or I guess when I say there's three categories in Flesh and Blood, I think there's, there's face-up information, which is the information on the board. It's, it's purely known information. Then there's known information that isn't face-up. So this is things like pitch stack. This is cards revealed. Um, this is cards that, you know, maybe they've got back with like remembrance or whatever. Is the, these are, this is known information, but it's not revealed information. And then there's completely unknown information. And so many mistakes happen on those first two. Like you can't know what you don't know, but so much, so often you know what could happen or you've seen these cards. And we still make mistakes. And the the ultimate is, you know, it's the Snapdragon scalers. It's missing the face up. It's the it's the razor reflex, whatever it is. Or speaking of command and conquer, opponent hits you with a command and conquer, they pummel it, and you remove the card from your arsenal without them announcing the trigger. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Let's not go down there. I was gonna say, I was gonna say, you block for six. They play the pummel, you've reinforced the line in your arsenal and you just destroy it instead no, of playing. I it. was just making fun of the United Kingdom. Um, yeah. uh, all right. I wanna I guess I wanna ask is how do you spot or understand punting away games? I don't know. I think the cre the easiest way to do it, uh, or the easiest way to answer that question is you're making plays like the one that happens the most in Flesh and Blood, the one that's happened to me is like I fought through a play line. My opponent has taken so long because it's a it's a symmetric turn, right? They have to block on something. They've taken so long that I've now forgotten my play line and I play a different line that is suboptimal. Um, I think that the the most recognizable things are you understand what the play is, you know what the play is, but you do a mechanical action that's different from that for one reason or another. I think it's like I've fallen victim to in the past, like either underthinking or overthinking. So like, yes. and I'd say it's honestly, honestly, it's more the overthinking, but I, I do think a lot of people fall into the camp of underthinking where it's like, maybe you're being pretty methodical about a certain aspect of the game. And this is just treating all the game equally. I think, you know, it's like, okay, I have this really good rule of thumb on how I play my deck, whatever it is, but you don't stop to pause. Is that the correct way to play this time? Like I often see that. But then the other one on the flip side of that is like, okay, you have this, you're faced with the situation, this play something is quite face up in terms of what you should do but you start to think about a couple other players or you start to think about what that means for the next turn or the turn after that and then all of a sudden you forgot about the most obvious thing which is the play right in front of you the play that should be made right now and you make a different play which is kind of like what brennan's saying and i i think that is like identifying those spots in those situations and trying to reduce those in whatever way possible which i think some of the ways to reduce that is just Stopping in the moment, like once you've found the play, if you are still, you have time because your opponent's doing something or you need to think through the next couple of turns, that's fine. But make sure you lock that play away. Like this is the play and now I'm going to think beyond that. And that's not always going to serve you correctly, but 95% of the time it will. So just do it, <laughs> especially as you're trying to reduce colossal mistakes and punts, I would say. 
Yeah. Uh, an example of underthinking is you play Scar for Scar on Higher Life and you go to play another card and you're like, oh, yeah. It's just like for no, it, obviously, yeah. if you had thought about it, you wouldn't have, you would have realized that. You would have realized that was a condition of the card and you would not have made that play. But sometimes you just, you're playing too fast. You're thinking about other things. Like for me, sometimes I'm thinking of when I'm going down a decision tree and how to map my turn, I'm, over at the branches on like the far end of the tree when really my I have this critical fault that exists at the stump and I just don't know about it. So I've spent five minutes thinking about all this useless bullshit and then I just make this mistake. Yeah, and then you realize you're actually on higher life and none of this works at all. Yeah. I'm like, oh, okay. I lose. Yep. Um, do you think you can truly avoid punting or making colossal mistakes i think you can drastically mitigate it by playing slower and playing more methodical i think that the best players in flesh and blood and there's a lot of things that make them the best players but one of the, the main thing in my opinion is not this like expression of deck building not an expression of like outplaying their opponents you know in the in the traditional sense or just like being better at math or better critical thinking it is just mm. a mitigate they just make less mistakes in general yeah they just and they usually do that because you know they might just be more intelligent but they also play slower they recognize the patterns more they have more practice etc but the core essence of why they're so good at the game is because they reduce mistakes the more you reduce mistakes the better you be on flesh and blood and i think that's almost like you can almost do that in an in infinite right like because you can never make zero mistakes so if you just make less mistakes than everybody else you'll just be better i can't I can't say it better, to be honest. I think that's the main thing when it comes to... The thing is, as well, so, like, I think there's this real, you know, people look at players like Michael Hamilton or whoever is, you know, and we've talked about this before about just how few mistakes someone like like Michael makes. Michael still makes mistakes, but all flesh and blood players do, I think. But not only is it kind of, you said the amount of mistakes, but it's honestly just the level of mistakes as well. And I think if you start from the lowest of the low like the low-hanging fruit first it's like these big mistakes that are so face up they don't actually require that much skill or um mental input it's just reminding yourself like just i need to focus on these couple of like plays that i keep making these mistakes you know these these face up things i'm just not counting my defense value properly i'm not remembering that there's a something to this can might happen in the attack action phase or the defense defense reaction phase those are the things I think you just start with those and then, yeah, whatever, build your way up from there. But the the small kind of play line mistakes or maybe there's a 60% play here versus a 40% play here and I take the 40% play. Like those aren't the ones that are going to lose you the games as much as these colossal mistakes that just on the spot lose you the games, mm-hmm. to be honest. And also these ones are just, these are more glaring. These hit you in the face. These ones are more obvious. Like missing the Snapdragon scalers is a lot more obvious than... Oh, you know, f- five turns in a row, if I had just taken this line, then I could have forced my opponent into this particular hand. And when they got to this all red hand that they had pitch stacked, then I would have been able to do this as opposed to having to block the turn before because I didn't have enough life to punish them on the, the fifth turn. Like those are those are things that's like, yeah, I mean, yeah, if you're going to master the game, then one day those are the things you start to address. But, you know, the missing the Snapdragon scalers, the uh, not wildfire comboing people when you should just go for it. Those are the things that that are easier to address and those are the ones that are going to make an immediate impact on your game i think mm-hmm. agreed because you don't i think we talked about this a couple of pods ago but free wins right like you might get some free wins at at maybe the armory level or road to nationals level or whatever it is especially maybe like kind of the early rounds and, and you can get away with some of these plays like i've definitely gotten away with punts before i know you talked about before yeah, with like sure. dominated I, I, Arrow. I, like, I won the one that get, well i won against caleb i was all one against that rhinar <laughs> And nobody questioned the plunder on the arsenal. So where are your, where are your, yeah, where are your punts that you lost, Brendan? Uh, the cannon one I lost. Yeah, I lost that uh, one. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. There we go. Well, <laughs> um, what was I saying before I got distracted by you touting your punts as wins? I don't know. Brilliant. Um. Oh, right. At the free wins, and if you want to compete at like the grinder level, the PT level, or whatever it is, like you're just not going to get those free wins. So punts will really, really punish you. I think that's kind of what i wanted to say mm-hmm. i definitely punted at worlds yep one played match. the wrong deck well that's a that's a non-gameplay related punt. List. yeah no those are punts yeah. as well no i played the right list i think just the wrong deck <laughs> should have played hard list should have I, I should have just played dash is actually what i should have done at worlds but that's fine all right anything else to say about colossal mistakes or or punts punting in flesh and blood 
Any any thoughts on your mind about non-gameplay related punts? I know you just talked about picking the wrong deck. I just well, I, I just don't know why it happens so much to be honest. Like uh, for me, for me, like I just don't know why I do it. And I I've actually I remember when I was uh playing Marvel Snap competitively, it was like a really big issue. Is I would just play too fast. Mm-hmm. I don't know why I do it. It's pa- obviously it's patience, but um like I started implementing rules for myself where I would actually just rope my opponent. And roping isn't as toxic as it is in Marvel Snap as it is in something like Hearthstone. I would just rope my opponent every time because it's it's objectively wrong not to. It's like I just need the time. Even if the play is so obvious, I know I'm such a dumbass that I'm you know, I'm gonna fuck it up sometime and make a quick play and lock it in, and there's mm-hmm. no reason to do that. And um, yeah, for me it's just like I have to like really it's like it's less about the critical thinking in regards to the play lines and more about like I just need to impose this level of discipline where I take a set static amount of time to make my turn to try to limit these like random just like uh I don't know, malfunctions that occur in my brain. Yeah. Where I just make the I wrong like, decision. I like that. Malfunction. Yeah. 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 Right. yeah. That's well, it for me. Thank you, Victor Goldman. I think it's going to do it for episode 1144 of Arsenal Pass. Brendan, want to take us out? Yep. Well, if you listen to this podcast, you enjoy it. Number one thing you can do is leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. There's a video version of this on YouTube at youtube.com slash Arsenal Pass. We're both on Twitter, Brendan APG, at Fian underscore Dale. And a big shout out to all the Arsenal Pass patrons. You help us do what we do. And we're going to be going into a competitive season here soon. So expect those deck techs, deck guides, and deck lists. Um, and yeah, soon to be limited review. Working on getting some guests up on the podcast uh, early this year. Um, some returning guests. There's some that I definitely want to get. Um, that I, I think a lot of you enjoyed those episodes and you would enjoy them once again. So we're reaching out and uh, yeah, we'll keep you updated. But anyway, thank you all so much for listening. We'll see you next time. <laughs>